Hello, family, and greetings from the island of Bermuda. Deb and I and Pastor Lathan and Lynn are here in Bermuda. We were just doing a Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage seminar for a wonderful church here on the island. You would love these people. They are fabulous. Anyway, we're having a great time. It's kind of hot, though. <coughs> but we're having a great time. It's fabulous. We uh, will be heading back on Monday. We're looking forward to seeing all of you uh, when we get back. Uh, this morning, uh, Pastor Joel is going to be bringing a message. We all love it when Joel comes and really ministers to people. So open your hearts and receive God's word from Pastor Joel this morning. God bless. Isn't Bermuda where they've got the Bermuda Triangle and people's personal planes disappear and stuff like that? All right. Hey, have you ever had a day like this where you wake up in the morning and you get a call from your bank and your credit card is overdrawn, but you know you haven't done it, so you're wondering now if somebody's stolen your credit card and it's still dark and so you're you know, trying to find your papers and you knock over a lamp and now you've got broken glass on your desk and you thought, I'm going to check this out, so I'm going to go online and go into my bank statement and you can't get online because the internet's down. And when the internet is down, life just stops functioning. And then you think, oh, I'm going to call my wife because she must have been the one who did all this stuff. So you get on the phone to your wife, but she doesn't answer. And you can feel the tenseness building around you. You know, there's just a bad vibe going on because nothing is going well. And she doesn't answer and doesn't answer. And then your daughter runs in and throws the car keys at you and says, we're late. I got basketball practice. And she never told you this. Now you get in the car and you're running to try to get her to basketball practice. And you get a flat tire, and you just feel like the world is falling apart. You ever had one of those kinds of days where you go, ah, and you go to bed at midnight, and if you survived the day, it's a good day? <laughs> Listen, life can make us overwhelmed, and it can stress us out. And a lot of us live every day that way. Or if we go to bed at midnight and put our head on the pillow and we've just survived the day, it's a good day. And we're dying for some peace, we're dying for some rest, and we keep thinking to ourselves, it'll be just after this week, after this next event, after this next project. That's when things will settle down, and they never really seem to settle down. And you wish you had like one of those life remote controls like Adam Sandler and Click, the movie, you know, where you can just pause life all around you just to get a breath of air. And if you're here this morning and your life is characterized that way, where there is this absence of daily peace, and there seems to be more and more kind of anxiety and stress, it's not God's design. They actually did a survey and they asked, Americans, what is it that really, really stresses you out? What overwhelms you and gets you full of that anxiety? Here's some of the things that were on the top of the list. Work was one. You know, the demands to advance just in this economic climate to provide for your family. Some of us have to take two and three jobs. And some of the values that are lived out in our workplace put a lot of pressure and stress on us. People was another one. Some of us have a few people that really energize us, but we seem to have more people that drain us, that create more stress and more absence of peace, and sometimes we even live with those people. <laughs> money, money was really high up, because there just never quite seems to be enough. 
There's just quite not enough. I remember when I graduated from college, I had in my mind, if I could make this amount of money every year, I would be on easy street. That amount of money came and left a long time ago, and there's never quite enough. I'm just always a little bit short, and that stress removes any peace from our life. Amazingly, one of the things that causes stress for a lot of people is religion. Our very relationship with God that should bring us peace actually can create more anxiety and remove peace because of the fact that we always look at our life and we feel like we're never measuring up to what we're supposed to be. We're never quite getting there. We even think, you know, God, He loves me kind of because He has to, but He must not like me very much because I'm always falling a little bit short. I never achieve what's expected of me, and there's more stress and more anxiety. And now we're getting ready for fall, where people are getting back into their schedules, and some of us are saying, that's great, but soon the schedules will ramp themselves up, and the pace of life will really increase, and we'll feel like we're in a rat race, and the rats are winning. Is this your life? That kind of an absence of peace that comes every day where there's just more stress and more burden, where you just put your head on the pillow and say, wow, I survived another day. If it is, I want to teach you a new word. It's a very spiritual word this morning. I didn't know this word before my daughter taught it to me. It's the word chillaxin. You take the word chill and the word relaxin and you put them together and for some reason they drop the G. I have no idea why they do that, but they do that. Here's the word chillaxin. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Jesus uses this word. It's in a different language, but it's the word. Matthew chapter 11. Here's what he says about what our lives should look like. Verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Man, if you're fried, if you're overwhelmed, if you're not finding a whole lot of peace, come to me and I will give you rest. You take my yoke upon you, and you learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden, it's light. This is an incredible promise he gives us, because our lives can be so stressful, so full of anxiety. Actually, I want to try an experiment. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture, if you could remove all the stress, if you could remove all the anxiety, all those things, close your eyes, what does that look like? If you could get away from it all and have that kind of peace, what does it look like in your mind's eye? Now, I want you to open your eyes and look at the screen. Is this what you were thinking about? Here's the problem. There's two really important things missing in this picture. One is people, because it's a lounge chair all by itself, and the other is work. Now, if you go back to the beginning, when God created the Garden of Eden, and He made everything perfect, He created this perfect environment that had both those things. People. It's not good for anybody to be alone. And work. Name the animals. Work the garden. And yet oftentimes we see them as our primary source of stress and we just want to get away. We think chillaxin is getting away from work and people. It's the absence of all those things because we actually think stress comes from them. When it doesn't, Adam and Eve were in perfection and with them was work and people, community. God didn't design us to remove us from work and people, but to rise above it. 
Maybe even to see peace coming as a means through it. And in this passage, he gives us three words and a promise. The promise is you can live in peace. But it doesn't just naturally happen. You've got to embrace the three words that he gives us. Come, take, and learn. And this morning, he just wants to remind you these three words. Come. He says in verse 28, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest The response from stress is not to run away from work and from people, but to run to God. Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God. And you know what? Everything else seems to fall into place when you do that. You have to do something if you want to get rid of the stress and anxiety. And it's not running away from people. It's actually running to God, putting Him back in His rightful place. Because if you don't run to Jesus, you're going to run to something. You may run to worry where you begin to worry about things and you just run to that. It's interesting how we do this. We have this stress and anxiety. We begin to worry about it. We run to worry. And when it doesn't go away, the stress and anxiety, we worry more. And then when that doesn't work, we tell other people about our stress and anxiety so that they can worry with us. Because somewhere in Scripture it says, where two or three people worry together, God's going to (laughs) work. If you don't run to Jesus, you're going to worry. You're going to run to quick decisions. Just to fix the anxiety, just to get rid of the stress, you will make a quick decision. And quick decisions are usually bad decisions. You'll run to a crisis, or you'll feel like you're drowning. There's a few of you who are here this morning, and you feel like you're drowning. Like you literally can't breathe, because it's so overwhelming, and you just can't even sleep at night. Because there's so much of that burden and pressure that's on you. You'll run to escape. I mean, the picture of the lounge chair on the beach is kind of a trivial escape. But then there are more serious escapes. Where you run to addictions. You run to sin. Anything that will make you get out of that burden that begins to overwhelm you. And ultimately, you run to hopelessness. You begin to think to yourself, this is just the way it is. This is my lot in life. Somehow I just got to deal with it. His name was Tom, and he was a new believer. And when he got saved, like many new believers, he was full of enthusiasm. He read his Bible. He prayed. uh, He started attending this church. He was full of real great joy and peace and happiness and victory. He met his wife in church. Then they got married. They had kids. They bought a house. Bills came on. Pressure began to build. He wanted to start his own business. He had to have two jobs. Businessmen, he couldn't be a part of the small group anymore. Stopped coming to churches regularly. He had to travel for his business. And more and more, that anxiety, that pressure was replacing the peace that used to be there. One day he was in a city and he was removed from his family. And he went down to the lobby of the hotel he was staying in. And he went to the bar because now he had started having a drink or two in the evening for all the wrong reasons. He sat at the bar and he was drinking his drink and he looked at the end of the bar and there she was. And she was alone and she was attractive. And he thought to himself, nobody will ever know. Nobody will know and wow, maybe this will just be some kind of a breath of air that will help me to breathe. Because he had no peace in his life. And all of a sudden, God in His grace just threw a red flag in front of Tom. And he stopped and he said, what am I doing? He dropped his drink and he went up to his hotel room and he opened the drawer and got the Gideon Bible that's in all the hotel rooms and he opened his Bible and he got on his knees and he said, God, you've got to help me. You've got to save me. 
Because I am just under so much burden. I'm having these thoughts run through my mind. And it was this huge red flag. And there are some of you this morning who are under such a burden and under such a stress. You are without peace. That it may not be Tom's situation, but there is a red flag that God is waving in front of you. And you've got to see it. Because if you don't, it means that your life and the lives of those around you in one way or another will be damaged. This passage teaches us that is not God's design for our life. I have designed you to be at rest and at peace, but you got to come to me. You can't just sit back and think it'll happen. you got to come to me. you got to make me a part of your life. And if you're not doing that, even if it's just five minutes in the morning before you wake up, Five minutes after you wake up would even be better. I was wondering if you were listening. Five minutes at lunchtime, five minutes in the evening. Something that says, God, I need you to be a part of my every day. Many of us wake up and we hit the ground running. We don't even have time for breakfast. We don't have time for our kids. Grab the coffee on the drive-thru and we are gone. And we wonder why there's no peace. You know, one of the things I love to do is whitewater rafting. And when you have this picture of whitewater raft in your mind, you picture guys in a boat with helmets going down these white waters, and it's really exhilarating and it's intense, and you do the bigger rapids and it's even more fun. But there's another part of whitewater rafting that's really important, and it actually can be fun. It's that between the rapids, there's calm water. And as much as the rapids are exhilarating in front, when you get to the calm water, everybody in the boat who's been working hard kind of goes, and you rest. And you actually take that time to prepare for the next set of rapids that are coming up, how you're going to go through them. Life is like white water rapids. It's rough and you've got to work and you've got to know what you're doing and there's a lot of intensity. And it can be this great adventure, but you need those moments of calm water. Five minutes in the morning, five minutes at lunch, five minutes in the evening. That allows you to go, God, I need you to be a part of these next white water rapids at my workplace. I need you to be a part of these next whitewater rapids when my kids come home. And you breathe. And you rest. And you come to Jesus. And it keeps life as an exhilarating adventure. Because if you were to try to do whitewater rapids an entire day with no calm water, it would just become exhausting. And it wouldn't be fun anymore. And you'd probably end up crashing because you wouldn't have the strength to persevere through. This is what Jesus means when He says, listen, come to me. You need calm water between the intensity. Some of you need to visit the bookstore on your way out of here and buy one of those little devotional books that just gives you some help so that every morning you can just take five minutes and read a verse and say a prayer and say, God, I'm coming to you first. I'm putting you in your rightful place. I'm going to come to you because when I do that, I know that you give me this incredible promise. Come to me and I will give you rest. And if you need rest this morning... It's just that simple. Jesus designed us so that He could give us rest emotionally. Psalm 23 says, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Some of you are here this morning just because He wants to lead you to rest where you can breathe and discover His peace. He actually leads us to rest physically. God designed us for rest. You ever thought about this? Why is the Creator of humanity, would He wire us physically to sleep eight hours a day? 
But he made us to spend almost a third of our time sleeping, resting. Because he wants to make sure that the other two-thirds of our time, we function in peace. Now, in our society, that's not a good value. People who say, I only need three or four hours of sleep, we champion them. Wow, they're great. But for those of us who say, I want eight hours of sleep, we're kind of seen as lazy. And then for me, I like to take afternoon naps. I don't dare tell anybody that. He likes to take afternoon naps. What, is the guy a bum? God wired us to rest. Even if you read the creation story, when God describes the first day, He says, there was evening and there was day the first day. God's day, the Hebrew culture, the day doesn't begin in the morning with a quick cup of coffee as you're racing down the freeway, putting your makeup on, doing stuff like that. For God, His day starts with dinner, 6 o'clock. And you gather the family together and you have this dinner together. And you talk about life. And then you have the evening to relax together. And then you get a full night's sleep. And then you end your day by working. That's how God designed the day. He says, man, come to me and I will give you rest. Emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. Can I ask you a really tough question for Christians in the 21st century? When's your Sabbath? It's a biblical thing. It's the thing God wired into all of our schedules. And, and just so you know, an hour and ten minutes on Sunday morning doesn't quite count. When's your Sabbath? That chunk of the week when you say, this is what's best for me. I'm going to trust God's design. i got a million things i got to do. But I'm going to trust God's design. Come to me and I will give you rest, spiritual rest, where I'm at peace with Him, with my Lord, with my Savior. But there's more than just coming to Him and spending time with Him. Five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. The second word He says is take. He says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you. You may be thinking to yourself, if I take on one more thing, it's going to kill me. But He's not talking about taking on one more thing. Not one more job, not one more task, not one more volunteer, not one more assignment. He's talking about something completely different that they would have understood. Look at the picture picture on the screen. This is what he's referring to. This was a yoke. And what they would do is they'd take an old, well-established, very strong ox and they would hook up a very young ox to it who didn't know the ropes, who didn't have a lot of strength. And that old ox would carry most of the weight and most of the burden and do most of the labor. And the young ox would learn the ropes by relying so much on the old ox. And this is the picture that Jesus paints for his disciples. He said, listen, I'm not asking you to do something and then stepping back and judging how good you are at it. I'm asking to join your life and for you to join my life. And I will carry most of the weight. I will do most of the hard pulling. I will direct and I'll carry almost all of the burdens. But you've got to yoke yourself up to me. You've got to tie yourself into my life. It's not just a matter of 15 minutes, 5, 5, 5, come to Jesus. It's actually a matter of saying, I want to do life Jesus' way. I want to yoke myself to Him. Well, another sport I love to do is snow skiing. I remember when I first learned how to snow ski. Patience is not a real strong virtue of mine. So this buddy of mine was going to teach me how to ski and so we went up and he said you want to do the bunny hill first and I said nah we can just go up to the top so we just get up to the top and you know I had at least a little bit of, of 
balance back then. And we're looking down this hill, and he said, here's what you do. You go first, snowplow, go slow, and I'll go behind you. I'll stay about 10 feet behind you, and I'll talk you through the hill, where to turn, what path to take, and I'll teach you how to ski that way. I thought, cool. So I got up there, and I went down, and I started going. He's like 10, 20 feet behind me, and he's talking to me. But once I started going, I thought, piece of cake. I could do this. And bam, I went flying down that hill, and I just left him. Because I thought, this is easy. I can do this. And sure enough, halfway down the hill, I'm going 9,000 miles an hour. I lose control. I tumble out of control, about kill myself. He comes skiing up to me. He said, Joel, what did you do? I said, I thought I knew how to do this. And it's a picture sometimes of what we do with Christ. He says, let me ski behind you. And I'll give you directions. I'll tell you where to turn. I'll tell you what to do. We start doing that. We think, piece of cake. Bam. And we just fly down the hill. And we leave Jesus in the back. And then when we crash, we wonder, what happened? Where's the peace? And stress comes. And Jesus says, listen, you've got to come to me, but you've got to take my yoke. You've got to do life by my design for your life. In that survey I told you about, one of the highest stresses was work. Do you do it as unto the Lord? With a really good attitude? Trusting Him that He's given that to you? Because that's taking His yoke. One of the other stresses was people. Do you take his yoke when it comes to people? Because some of us have no peace because we haven't forgiven people who have wronged us yet. And we're carrying a bitterness in our heart that is destroying us and creating anxiety. To take his yoke means I've got to forgive that person. I've got to allow that forgiveness. I'm going to hook myself up to Jesus. He'll carry most of the weight. I'll trust him to give me the grace that I'm not going to give from the person who has hurt me. But if I do that, then peace will come. Finances was a huge area of stress. Are you taking on his yoke? It's tough. I realize that. But are you trusting his way? Are you harnessing yourself up to God saying, listen, here's how I want you to manage your money. I want you to give it to the church. I want you to manage it with your kids. Here's what I want you to do. Are you taking on his yoke so that peace can come to you? Actually, one of the things you can do is if there's an area of your life where there's no peace and a lot of stress, oftentimes it's a good indication that that's where you haven't yoked yourself with Jesus. And his design is that we live these incredible, peace-filled, joyous, victorious, adventurous lives. But for some of us, life just crams itself in, and we find ourselves with no peace, and a lot of anxiety, and a burden we can't carry anymore. And we're weary. We're run down. And we crawl into bed barely being able to sleep because we're so exhausted from carrying everything. And the Lord says, this is not how I designed your life. My burden is light and easy. I don't want you to be weary. I want you to come to me. I want you to take my yoke and do life the way I designed it for you. And you'll discover a peace you can't imagine. And then he says, lastly, I want you to learn I want you to learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, the disciples were really familiar with other rabbis, and they were not gentle and humble in heart. They were intense, and they were always putting people down for not acquiring enough. They put a stress on a religious belief. And Jesus says, don't follow their role model. You follow my role model, where I'm not upset, I'm not panicked. If Jesus were here today, he'd say, guys, follow me. I'm the one who's chillaxing. I'm gentle and humble in heart. I'm not 
uptight. Learn from my role model. Here is a man who's going to save the world. He's got the demands of everybody on him. He's got people wanting to kill him. And yet every morning and every evening he found time to go away to a garden, to a mountain. You think you're busy? Save the world. See how much busyness that will put in your life. He says, follow my example. He was devoted to time with his father because he knew that's what would bring him the life that the father had for him. And he was in the word and he fellowshiped in that way. Follow his example. He was determined to live by his father's design. So before he goes into ministry, the enemy comes to him in the desert and tries to tempt him to kind of thwart God's way. You came here for all the kingdoms of the world? Hey, I'll give them to you. But you don't have to go to the cross. Just jump off the temple. Listen, people will see this great miracle because the angels will save you and it'll be all right. Jesus says, no, I'm going to do it God's way. He heals a man on the Sabbath. Couldn't he have waited a day? What's the big deal? It was just a hand. And if he had waited a day, there'd have been no pressure, no disturbances. The religious leaders wouldn't have been upset. Just wait a day. But Jesus was going to do it God's way. And he heals this man on that Sabbath. And sure enough, the religious leaders come to him. And they said, what are you doing? Why are you doing it now? You're not allowed to. And all he does is say this. Don't look at me. I'm only doing what God's told me to do. I'm only saying what God's told me to say. This is my prayer for my life. That when people look at me and they say, you give 10% of your money to the church? My response is, don't look at me. I'm only doing what God's told me to do. You're forgiving people at work who continue to betray you and stab you in the back and you're speaking words of love and grace to them? Don't look at me. I'm only speaking what God's told me to speak. You see, I'm yoked to Jesus because I want peace and freedom and joy, not anxiety. Jesus says, listen, come to me. Five in the morning, five in the afternoon, five in the evening. Take my yoke. Let me carry most of the burden. Stop trying to do life outside of my design for you and let me carry most of it. It'll make your life so much lighter, so much easier. And learn from my role model. That I found time to be with the Father and I was determined to live according to His plan. And Jesus delighted in every moment. He'd be walking along and they've got plans and they've got meetings and they've got people to see. Thousands of people wanting to see Him. And the children would come to Him and He would make time for them. Most of us, what do we do with kids? We grab them and yank their arm out of the socket to get to where we need to be. Or when they come to us, we just don't have time for them. We're too busy. But He delighted in every moment that He was given I know we don't see it because our culture is different, but when Jesus taught, he used all kinds of humor. They would have been rolling on the ground. We can't catch it because we're in a different culture. Like when you watch the half-hour British comedy shows and you wonder, what's so funny about this? And the British people are just busting the gut. This is how it was. When he taught that teaching, when he says, listen, before you judge the speck in somebody's eye, take that big plank out of your own eye. They would have pictured this guy with a big plank. Trust me, in the first century, they would have been rolling in laughter. You still don't get it, do you? it doesn't happen. (laughs) Jesus delighted in every moment. And one of the greatest tragedies is when we put our head on the pillow at midnight and all we can say is, it was a good day because I survived. And all the stress is there and all the anxiety is there and all the burdens that are wearing us down without any peace. I guarantee you, 
you missed moments that day. Incredible moments that God has for each and every one of us. I was reminded of this a few years back because I got caught up in a wave of intensity. I was traveling a lot. I was really busy. And the burden and the stress was coming on. And I was losing my peace. I could just kind of feel it happening, but I was just too committed and too busy to break out of the come, take, learn. And I got home from a trip, and I was home, and my daughter, who was young, probably 12 years old at the time, she was in a girls' basketball league, and she had a game that day. And I got home, and I could get to the gym and probably see just the last few minutes of the game. And I really didn't want to because I was exhausted. And when you're tired, you don't have energy to do anything. But I just felt urged to go, so I went to the game. And if you've had daughters or you've been to a little peewee basketball game with girls who are 12 years old, you know the score is normally 10 to 1 at the end of a long game. They're not the most riveting things in the world to see. I got there with about a minute left, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was this great game. It was full of excitement. And then there was four seconds left in the game, and my daughter's team was down by two points, and so they had to hit a three-pointer to win this game. Actually, I brought you a clip. Watch this. If you had seen the clip, if you had seen the clip, what you would have seen is Lisa hit this three-pointer from 40 feet out. And I stood there, and of course, everybody went nuts, and I stood up in the stands, and I went, wow! It's what I used to say months and months earlier. It's kind of like wow and whoa put together, wow, when you're speechless. And I'll never forget standing in the stands, and God speaks to my heart. Oh, there it is. Is that cool or what? I'm standing in the stands. And God speaks to my heart. He says, Joel, it's been a long time since I've heard you say, wow. You saw a moment that I gave you that you would have missed. Times when my wife and I would stand with our three kids for dinner and something miraculous just clicked And we sit and talk for an hour and a half. And then they go off to do their homework. And we go, wow, what happened? Just looking at a sunset. Because you're at peace. And you can see an incredible sunset and go, wow. When was the last time on a daily basis you found yourself just going, wow. Because you were at peace so you didn't miss any moments in your day. Now, I thought that clip was so cool, and I wasn't very impressed with your response, so I'm going to show it to you again. But I added a few things to it, so watch this. If you're a parent, it's very cool. I'm still not that impressed with your response, but that's okay. As a dad, you just go, wow. Moms and dads, brothers, sisters, whoever. Today, tomorrow, I guarantee you, God's got these wow moments set up for you. But if you are overwhelmed and burdened and stressed, you will miss them. You'll just be too busy, too stressed. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, for it's light and it's easy. 
learn from me. You follow my role model and watch how it will cause you to chillax through life. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to ask Pastor Dan to come, but as he does, you just take a minute right now and breathe before God. You just breathe. Whatever it is that you're burdened with, whatever it is that you're stressed with, whatever has caused you not to be able to be in peace and you've missed some wow moments, just right now, you just come to Him and rest. And you capture His rest. Pastor Dan. Thank you, Pastor Joel. Let's let him know that we appreciate that word. Thank you, brother. I'm going to ask the ushers to come to the front, if you would. We're going to share communion together. Pastor Joel, by the way, has a little drive this afternoon. He's going to go home, pick up his daughter down in Lake Geneva, and drive to California to take her to college. So he has to get on the road. That's where they're going. It may be that you're here this morning and this really struck a chord with you. And uh, you say, you know what, I, it's been too long. I just need to touch, to touch God. I need to touch the hem of Christ's garment. I need to catch my breath again. I need to get my soul some rest. And that's exactly what God wants to give, not the person sitting to your left or to your right, That's what he wants to give to the person sitting in your seat. And he will do that. And I say, Pastor Dan, I'm not worthy. None of us is worthy. It's his grace alone, folks. His love for you. And all he's asking for is you to say, Lord, that's me. I, I need your help. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I've never taken that yoke. I've never received Christ as my Lord and Savior. Could be that you've gone to church all your life. I know I was raised in a church. I went every Sunday. Never really understood God's plan for me, that Christ died personally for me and that he wanted me to make a personal commitment to him. And back in 1971, in a small church out in California, I said yes to Christ. And I've never regretted that moment. And you may be at that crossroads right now. And I'm going to ask each of you to just bow your heads and we're going to say a simple prayer together. And if you mean this, God will hear and He will respond. If you're saying, Lord, I I need some help. I, I need to open the door of my heart and invite you in because I'm tired of doing this alone. I'm going to ask you to say this prayer after me. And everybody on Sunday morning, we always repeat this together. So I'll pray and then you repeat it. Dear Jesus... I believe you are the Son of God, that you love me so much, that you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.